Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Automated. I, of course, am Stefan Seltz Oxmacher. Sitting across from me is a man wearing a cat t-shirt. Now, this isn't a normal cat t-shirt where it's just a cat staring off into the distance. It's a cat t-shirt where it's it's in downtown Tokyo celebrating the Autonicast's CES party. Who exactly are you, sir? This is a callback to four or five episodes ago when you also outlined the shirt. So. <laughs> I think it's more of a callback to how few shirts you wear. Yeah, take this as proof that I do not wear clothing (laughs) once and throw it away. I'm the opposite of that person. So sitting across from me is Ilya, my co-founder here at Polymath Robotics, who is a meaningful proponent of fast fashion, just buying new clothes every day. I, of course, am Stefan. We're the co-founders of Polymath and your co-hosts here at Automate It, our weekly podcast where we talk about robots, how to make them, and, and just how hard they hurt us when they hurt us. We do two parts of our show every week. The first part is we play a game where we spitball creating a robot. And the second part is we talk about a topic. And uh, Ilya, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about the troubles with the on-road autonomy. And kind of how that actually affects us or doesn't, which, to be honest, we're still trying to figure out. So with that being said... And just like the actual troubles, there might be some some real issues going on. (laughs) So with that being said, we'll start playing our game. So here's our game that we play every week where we simulate, in true gazebo fashion, founding of a robotic startup where one person has an idea of a technology that they want to use or not use, and the other has the idea of a, a, a business area that they want to use it in. Ilya, what a business area, what setting are we, uh, are we working on this week? All right, let me pull one of these cards. We got, yeah, we've seen delivery before. Let's see, public park. I like public that one. Park. Especially relevant for San Francisco. Let's do this. <laughs> and, and for our public parks... Actually, let's do quadcopters in public parks. Awesome. That's the card that I just drew after drawing a couple that I chuckled at. Awesome. Here, here's my pitch. Here's yep. my pitch. There was, during the quad rotor madness of, of let's say, five years ago, mm-hmm. there was a whole problem with people flying quad rotors just everywhere yeah. where they're not supposed to. Yeah. And for a little I while, imagine that like demand for quad rotors looked a lot like like new TVs. Yeah. Where it increased, 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 and then just fell, fell off, off a cliff. cliff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And now, like, basically only DJI exists. Not really, but you know what I mean? So I wonder if we were back in that time, if some municipality would pay for a quad rotor hunting quad rotor. Because there's people who are doing that for there, airports and stuff. stuff. There was yeah, a, there's yeah. a company I knew who basically had a, a targeted radio. So DJI and, a, DJI and a bunch of other drones have a like land command. And there's this company I know who was building fences of just spraying that land command up into the air so that you couldn't fly a drone over a, over a football game or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like something like that I've seen. You think people drone to drone combat is yes. the way to start? Yes, I think I think because uh, we're a robotics group. Yeah. So a, an autonomous drone that dangles like a detachable net under it. And it just goes and it just captures the drone. See, I at the moment, and uh, parks are a great setting for me because I'm a big Parks and Rec fan. And more than that, I at the moment am reading the Robert Moses book about how he strong-armed and nastied his way into creating a bunch of parks in New York City and New York State by like being kind of generally a terrible elitist racist, but also a really effective public servant. So like I was more thinking like either for surveying about how to build parks or like realize that there's problems in parks and like, is this trail about to be washed out, this, that, or the other. 
that seems like a great thing for an expensive robot over a you know volunteer I don't know. Or, or active community member who likes to complain at public forums. I it mean, seems like this is a great job for robots over them. I, I mean, like when you have a task that people do yeah. overly well for free, annoyingly well for free, that's a great place for robots. Well, I, I was going to say also to the theme of our of our podcast here, what's the more realistic business <laughs> doing? Flying survey data that people could use or robot gladiators. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so robot gladiators it is. Yeah, exactly. Robot gladiators, it's always been. Yes, exactly. That's that's the See, same. my only problem with a quadcopter for robot gladiators is you know, quadcopters are rather slow. Like I feel more oh, like no. Well, I feel more like if you had a, a plane format type of drone with blades on its wings. You, you have not seen aerial trick quad rotors recently. <laughs> have you? You no. should see no, they go like 60, 80 miles an so hour from dead up, stop. There was some sort of fighting robots show. It yeah, wasn't yeah. Gundam, but it was one where like, for some reason, the form factor of every robot was an animal. Okay. Um, and like a lot of them were like big cats and they'd like get in the giant big cat. Okay. And they'd be running and some of the big cats had cannons on them and stuff. The first listener who who reaches out and tells us the name of this show Isn't will get one... a free polymath sticker. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just have to come by our office to claim it. But because uh, uh, we don't ship hardware, no, definitely. Uh, we'll send you an image. We'll no, no, no. Better yet, we'll send you a NFT of a polymath sticker if you want to digitally deliver. But no, Rick and Morty made a joke episode about that. So, right? Well, I that mean, that one? was Voltron, but like yeah, there's more. Voltron, there was more. Another one. one where it was like, I mean, it was kind of Gundam-esque. Okay. Uh, anyway, the flying ones in them all were like more or less invariably pterodactyl shaped. And they had blades on their wings to attack each other, which I always thought was like really cool as like a sixth grader of like, yeah, airplane fighter jets should have blades on their wings. That's so, a good idea. So, <laughs> so I'm thinking that our drone, the way that it takes out the other drones is just blades is like through physical contact. No, but you don't want to, you don't want to knock the thing out of the sky. Yes. Because you'll kill someone. That's you. a, that's a risk that no, I'm willing no, 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 to take. You, you need a net. You need like, you know, there was those gladiators with the trident because it will catch the other drone and it'll hold it. And it will prevent it from killing yeah, someone. Yeah, but then it's your, your quadcopter with a flight time of 20 to 30 minutes has a net. Suddenly doubles yeah. or quadruples in weight. No, and it means its, it's flight time big. is another two minutes. No, no, no. Well, yeah. As soon as it catches the quadro, its only job is to safely land. See, I'm... Well, but then if it safely lands, then like the, the ne'er-do-well who's playing with this drone in the park, they're just going to get another drone for free. So what I'm thinking That's is... That's where the blades come out. Little Billy just got a $800 DJI Mavic 42 for Christmas. Right. He's taken it out with his, his parents to, to play with his drone. But, you know, this is a drone-restricted area. Out of the corner of the of his eye, the Leslie Nope 3000 flies into attack formation and slices his Christmas dreams apart and just leaves it on the ground and goes off to hunt someone else's toys. No, not only on the ground. It, it knocks it out of the air and then hits his dog with the debris <laughs> on the way down, injuring and, his dog as well. And that's the price the little Billy has to pay for not reading the no drone sign. That's right. You know, he. You know, if you want to play with a drone, you need to have a private forest reserve. Well, energy... <laughs> Just like in the days before Robert Moses. <laughs> energy reserves-wise, the only reason you like wings is because they're more efficient, mm -hmm. right? Quad rotors are And they're a great place to mount blades. Well, you can mount blades on a quad rotor. <laughs> you can easily mount blades on a quad rotor. The, the four blades are blades that are spinning around. They tend to be extremely rigid. But like, but quad rotors well, are what's more... What's the structural integrity for like slicing together other plastic? 
I, I think as soon as you touch, like you have to knock out one blade of your opponent and yeah. they're out of the sky. Yeah. Immediately, like so immediately, more, uncontrollably out of the sky. You just need more mass. Yeah, but I more want to like break them to their core. I more want to like slice a whole. I, I think the fall Because like to you the can ground. replace a blade. I think the, the 100 meter fall to the ground no, will like, take care no, of that Billy for you. He's not flying his DJI Mavic 42 for 100 meters in the air. All right. He's all flying right. like 20 feet in the air. All right, all right. Having, all right having owned a toy and drone for exactly 20 minutes. Uh, the 20 <laughs> minutes that took for a, a gust of wind to crash it into the ground and yeah, break the blade off. Exactly. It was very repairable by someone who had more time on their hands than I had. All right, all right. So this is what we're going to do. I'm thinking we need all like right. irreparable body damage. You're, you're right. You're right. You're, you're, you're totally correct. So what we're going to do Maybe to the person as well. <laughs> we're going to mount a lance on our quad rotor. This goes back to our early episode of this the... This goes back to Bob's Burgers. It, no, no. You no, just no. want a little thing to poke people. To poke people, right? Yeah. But this pokes your opponent drone with a stick of thermite <laughs> so like doesn't matter what material it's made out of it is getting liquefied <laughs> and maybe setting your park on fire but, but I that's feel like secondary poking, small cost i feel like poking requires better aim than than like just flying on a on an intersecting path See, like the reason why I like the 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 bird of prey with the big wings thing, yeah, yeah. is you just have to do a intersecting path among several, and and also you can strike that drone before anyone sees that you're coming. I get, honestly, again, I think the best option here is a net. You just have a thin, lightweight net that you you're a spider, you're a flying spider that you just fly through there and swat the thing. Why do you even need a net? Like, why not just use silly string or something? Something. If exactly. you sprayed a foam, then you don't need to carry a net. You actually don't need to add a propellant. You don't need to deal with it afterwards if it's quote unquote biodegradable. If it just quote unquote goes away when it rains, aka into the rivers and into a sea turtle's mouth, then like that that drone falls right from the air. I would be amazed if there was any kind of foam that could latch on to a rotor that's spinning at like thirty thousand RPM. It'll just fling it right off. Well, it doesn't need to latch on. It just needs to be heavy. Yeah, but doesn't. But it'll just like the blade is going so fast that that the foam hitting the blade will just get yeah. swept right off like a blender. So we're mostly talking product and we're not talking technology. So yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. I'll give you this stupid net idea, okay. which is dumb and nobody likes. And you flying Christmas. the flying spider three thousand, calling it. How how are we gonna? So we had to understand. So the, the cities do have to have obviously some GIS information about these parks. Yeah. Um, we have to be able to detect, which means that they, these these attack drones need to be ever patrolling our most quiet, gentle reserves of of nature within the populace. No, they, they could sit in a little like doghouse that pops over. How are they going to know when there's a drone? Lenses, cameras. So the so, doghouse is so just covered gonna, in lenses. And we're going to build a surveillance system in every park. Yes. Only aimed at the sky. No, I mean, I'm sure there's secondary benefits to San Francisco parks of aiming cameras at the ground that we won't discuss here. Well, well, okay. So we so so first of all, we let's say for Golden Gate Park, which is I don't know, a mile tall by 3 miles wide or like Yeah. 0.1 miles tall by yeah. 3 miles wide. Yep. So throughout that Every 300 feet, we need it. We need, or every thousand feet, yeah, we that. need a surveillance tower. Yes. Um, that are all networked together. Yes. And I'll need power running between them. Yep. And Just then stick them on the top of land. And then maybe, you know, give how fast these drones fly? Like, 60, 80 miles an hour, honestly. Uh, okay. Like so, the big ones, for sure. So we probably only need like three of these dog houses. Yep. So just like any good robotics project, the bill of materials for the actual drone, we're talking in the range of, you know, 10 grand in total, 20 grand, maybe. Yeah. Um, if you're doing super custom. Now the the surveillance, the spy towers, 
five million dollars. Um, no, it's also city work, so it has okay, to be yeah, go out fair. and blah 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 blah. I mean, we have two million dollar toilets in San Francisco. Yeah, and we're talking like a network of. 50 towers going throughout a park. Eh, 10. And yeah. like, you're of course going to have some people annoyed that, no, well, you need to be able to see all angles. And you, have to, you have to see on the other side of the trees. I think a 90% solution. I think you need one. 60 towers. Because um, I think if you're flying Kodoro, you're not flying it in a tiny little space, right? So like, even if there's a blind spot, that even if the blind spot is pretty small, like who cares if you fly your chrono well, four well, feet up and four feet down? Well, like, no, those those children also have to pay. <laughs> so in, in general, we're talking in the range of twenty thousand dollars of robots. Yeah, let's call it fifty thousand dollars of dog houses. Yep, times ten. Five to you know, dog houses, just the drone base. No, I mean uh, ten, 10 of these dog houses. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe $300,000 of robotics. Yep. 15 to $40 million of surveillance equipment. Yes. Um, and, and all of this to stop people from enjoying the parks in a slightly annoying way. Yes. And what were we going to call it? The Flying Spider 3000. If you're a municipality and you want to crush children's dreams, reach out to the Flying Spider 3000. <laughs> <laughs> we'll even we'll, we'll even build it with eight quad rotors just to like emphasize this eight limbed many eyed monstrosity that flies with a web. I know someone who's building a security drone that was that size, and it was just like like oh you're you're probably just scaring people away by following them with that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's now, a here's a table sized monstrosity flying now, through the sky. Now that we've given, I would actually say this this probably was originally going to be cut out of our game. But uh, a useful thing about this idea of a of a startup is if you have children or annoying younger family members who want to use their drone in annoying ways, much like the chemical in the pool that like if you pee it turns blue or green, you can tell your kids that this exists. If you want to enforce drone rules, just tell them, like, yeah, they have the Flying Spider 3000, which will destroy your drone if you fly it more than 10 feet off the air. See that? Or you annoy me with it, or it makes that sound one more time. See that weird municipality electrical box that houses them? (laughs) That's where the drones come out. Yeah, that's where the drones come out. (laughs) They only open when you're not looking. You know, I don't want to turn this into a conspiracy theory show, but definitely look up birds aren't real. Because maybe that's the real (laughs) drone killers. All right. All right, so for this week, we're going to talk about the fact that the on-road autonomy, like, this is part 17 or 42 or 109 of us talking about how the on-road autonomy industry is uh, facing the struggle bus. <laughs> Looking a little scary. Yeah, so to set the stage, in the last month or so, I've talked to, you know, say like three or five well-positioned, publicly-facing leaders of either billion-dollar or nearly billion-dollar on-road autonomy companies that are either in the process of privately failing or have publicly failed. And things are feeling grim. So last week, uh, I was catching up with my CEO coach, and I was like, yeah, I mean, people seem to be struggling and this, that, and the other. And he asked a really interesting question, which is, for us in the in the non-public road autonomy world, whether we're building autonomous tractors and and autonomous bulldozers or whatever, or for those building any other sort of robot, does it matter? And I'm not entirely sure I have an active conclusion, but I have a lot of arguments on either way, and I'm sure you do too. Yeah. I mean, starting from the positive technical side, I think VCs have, like many things, have kind of subsidize the cost of developing a lot of stuff. Yep. 
there's, you know, the reason we saw 50 odd company LIDAR companies at CES was because there's a lot of VC money in LIDARs. Yep. How they're going to survive, I have no idea. That's yep. a different question. But, you know, a lot of technical talent and R&D and actual real progress has been funded with this that is directly applicable to off-road. Yeah. There's no reason on-road cameras can't be used off-road. I mean, we've talked about this as a as a future episode to dive into sensors. Yeah. The world of sensors today is orders of magnitude better than it was even like three or four years ago for robots. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that's largely because, you know, the pension funds of the teachers of Ontario and others like them have given a bunch of money to people who have given a bunch of money to schmucks like you and I. And I think that's, um, it definitely like decreases the overall amount of work. And it's not just sensors, it's tools like Foxlove and Formant and, and all these synthetic data people and labeling people and this, that, and the other. So I think we're going to be in a spot where the, the the gravy train is coming to a close for those folks, which means we'll get less new toys, but we might already have enough. Yeah, I think I think there's there's enough focus and emphasis in R and D where now there's a pretty good idea of what works and what doesn't, yep. what the limitations are. And there's sensors that you can buy and like will actually meet your spec. Yeah, yeah. I remember early early days we got a one of the very early Velodynes, and we got an email from somebody inside their sales being like, hey, um. By the way, you folks in Canada, can you test it in snow? We have no idea what snow looks like in LiDAR data. <laughs> Which was like a very valid request. Like, I didn't know what it would look like. But now we have a lot better understanding of, of how these sensors perform in rain and dust and snow yep. and hail. And there's really good. The other big thing that's come out of this is there's fantastic data sets now. Yep. So if you're a budding robotics you know, software developer who really wants to do a new pathfinding algorithm, you don't have to buy hardware. You don't have to really do anything except download an open source free data set, download the standardized tools that can evaluate how well you judged it because it comes with ground truth and hack away. Go for it. Costs yeah. nothing. So that, that's been a huge bonus. So all these have been really beneficial things, but there's there's some downsides. Yeah, I mean, I think the there's a lot of investors who have just written off robotics. Oh, yeah. Where, where uh, we, we, there's one that we talked to or an email that was forwarded to us or something last year where a particular investor said they just don't believe things will be autonomous anytime soon. And, and to be frank, they were, their portfolio exposure is not on public roads. They like kind of fundamentally don't think a robot can go from one point in space to another because of how hard it's been for the on public road folks. Almost yeah. they've, they've over discounted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's there's there is a lot of skepticism of it. There's a good, uh, I think, LinkedIn post by George Hotz, uh-huh. um, who kind of did a teardown of Google's program on this. Yeah. Of just basically like, this is not a real business. Yeah. I mean, I think which, um, which Google could afford, but yeah. VCs can't always afford. I mean, a line that we've either used on this podcast or I've just used a lot in my personal life is a a common startup question, a common like gotcha for uh, is your startup worth worth doing? It used to be, well, this idea is so good. Why can't Google just do it? And this was a question whether you're working on self-driving cars or, you know, a nice calendar widget or Zoom. What's what's turned out to be true in autonomy is like Google Google also can't do it. And some of that means, you know, more kudos to the folks who have, the folks within Google who have, and the folks outside of Google who have. And some of that means VCs just think it's no longer doable. Yeah, there's definitely that hype cycle trough of disillusionment we're yep. in, in, in right now. But I mean, even, even you know, sorry to single out Google a little bit here, but they're an easy 
bear to poke yeah. in some ways. When we were at CS, we took a look at their autonomous truck. Yeah. And that thing must have had anywhere between half a million to a million dollars worth of hardware on it. Yep. Per truck. Yep. At scale. Like yep. there's no way there was less than $500,000. Yep. There was, I think I counted 40 cameras, yep. a dozen LIDARs. And like for a while, Robotics had this benefit out of like, you know, at, you know, in time that will become cheaper. Yeah. But it, it hasn't. I'm still waiting for my $100 LIDAR. <laughs> I would I would stick that thing everywhere. <laughs> but no. That'll be a future game in, in our uh, in our podcast. Yeah, where can you stick LIDAR? Yeah. 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 So, so, I mean, it's really hard not having that economy of scale or that optimization yeah. that you need to kind of make the justification of a million dollars worth of hardware yeah. on an average truck. Yeah. That's that's a hard problem. So here's a here's a pet theory of mine. The big on-road the big on-road companies are the most public, most well understood of all the autonomy folks. As they struggle, there's going to be less investment in tertiary markets like sensors, like labeling companies, like whatever. And that in general, we've seen a a rapid improvement in the tools available to roboticists over the last 10 years. And we're going to see a stagnation for the next decade. Yeah. Or at least the next five years. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like we're not going to get like LIDAR is not going to get three times better a year. It's not going to get three uh, a 30% cheaper per year. Similarly, the same thing's going to happen across all the tools. Kind of only folks who are getting direct dollars from some flavor of customer are really going to be able to move as quickly, which is both good and bad for us because some of our customers will be hit and others of our customers will be able to make do with less resources and get real dollars, which means we'll be able to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a very good point. I think it's going to be a harder time to be a, a picks and shovels manufacturer until some of the direct miners do well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to that point, again, like if, if you're starting a company or you're a university student or whatever, kind of don't depend on Moore's law yeah. and don't depend on sensor improvements yeah. as much as you would have. Otherwise. Yeah, because I mean, there were a lot of autonomy companies where the whole business model was... In seven steps, all of our inputs become one-tenth as expensive, and we can be really profitable. And and that's no longer probably a good part of the business plan. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that is definitely something that I think we and our customers have to worry about. Well, I, think, I don't think we have to worry some, as much for no. the bigger vehicles. No, 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 of so course. Like we were talking earlier about a customer who is automating, you know, vehicles where the equipment itself is half a million or $3 million. And like the difference of adding an extra $15,000 sensor, when you're replacing a quarter of a million dollars of labor a year, it doesn't really matter all that much. Now, if instead they were building a delivery bot, that $15,000 sensor breaks their whole, their whole business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, sorry. I didn't mean more. I meant more the, the larger point of if you're a startup in the space or you're looking for funding, kind of, it's going to be a little bit tricky. I think mm -hmm. there is going to be a bit of this trough of disillusionment, yeah. a little bit of a And you're going to need to overcome that autonomy sucks with like real customer traction. Mm -hmm. Like where you're, you're going to need to be able to say, yep, here's, here, here is our robot functionally working and here are customers paying for it as if it was a human because they don't care about robots. They just like, they just like things working. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. To the other question of how will this not change things? Yeah. Or I, how will this improve things? Yeah. I mean, improvement definitely, you know, I'm, 
I'm hoping there's a big spring forward of new tech companies with all these people who are getting displaced or companies shutting down. There's a lot of auctions of cheap sensors right now. If you want to, if you want to buy some ousters, I'm sure there's a bunch on on well, second hand. about that is those are probably the technology for circulating those auctions is now better. As in, yeah. the the people who do those auctions now put them up on websites, and there's more consistently used sensors now than there were back when people were building their own radars. It was hard to auction off the parts, but now it's a like, oh yeah, that's an ouster. OS to sixth rev. I know what that is. I'll buy that. Yeah, I know how to use that. That still works. That should still work. Exactly. Even if it's been rained on. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think that will make. I, I think this will push the robotics field forward and yeah. into more reasonable solutions. Yep. I mean, I also think. I mean, I I know we've talked about this before, but there's a lot of smart people who learn to work well as a team who who are now hooked on robots. Yeah. And like, I, I would call myself one of those. Like, so after Starsky ended, I rushed towards SaaS companies thinking like, you know, Hey, if I could make robots more or less work, I could make a billion dollars in SaaS and barely roll out of bed. And the thing that I was, you know, heartbroken to realize was how lame SaaS is after you've worked on robots. Like it turns out like you, you literally are just working on simple software products there's no like fundamental building things that no one's ever built before. It's all just like product management and let's change the marketing language a little bit. And I think that there's people who were recruited to say, to say Embark or Too Simple or whatever, where they were recruited from a company like a Dropbox or an Apple or an Uber and like main Uber, not Uber AGG. And now they're going to go try to get a job at DocuSign 5.0 and they're going to be bored to tears. They're going to realize that like, oh, the whole bar is just lower. In many ways, I think of I think of robotics as a holdout of the software startup world of like, you know, 2005, 1995, where like everyone's really smart and really cares more about technology and changing the world than like looking cool and salvage denim. And I think that like as a lot of these folks try to go back to normal companies, they're going to quit. Yeah. And these companies are going to be laying off people too. <laughs> so, you know, potato, potato. It can be a, I broke up with you. You didn't break up with me kind of situation. That's, that's a different question. I think what won't change though, mm-hmm. fundamentally is the actual demand in the industry yeah. for valuable solutions. Yeah. It's still. The market's been hooked. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. The amount of times where we talk to a customer and yeah. they have some very specific niche thing yeah. that is either very dangerous yeah. or super dull and is worth 10, $20 million. You could easily make a small business doing this kind of stuff. The best, nobody, nobody does it. The best large corporate customers for us are ones who have already lost millions of dollars trying to automate things. And that they've taken from that, that it is still valuable but it is really hard. And then they're interested in our solution. Yeah. And like, I think that's, that's without like, as people have read all these TechCrunch and New York times and whatever articles about how autonomy is going to change everything in industrial and off-road and agricultural and whatever vehicles they need it. They need yeah. it. They want it. They have been talking about it as an inevitability for the last seven years and they want it now. And in there's any industry. And there's more people retiring. Yep. Like we talked from Con Expo, the construction and aggregates industry yep. is like, I will hire whoever can hold 
you know, a shovel. A shovel. Yeah. But I still can't hire people. Yeah. <laughs> right. And right. I, and I think like the thing here is there's all of this excitement in this corner of the market, and there's doom and gloom in the on road side. Yeah. So if you're current, if you're listening to this and you're in on road, the grass is or more the uh, the stained dirt is much. <laughs> Greener <laughs> over the, here. The turnip regolith. The the turnip regolith is way more fresh on this side of the market. And if you don't want to go move a button fourteen times on some applet, start building some off road autonomous vehicle, and we'll help you out. Absolutely, come chat with us. And I think that's that's all we got to talk about. Yeah, so we have a couple of big announcements coming out that maybe we'll do whole episodes about. Maybe we'll do blog posts about. Or maybe we'll like promise more websites for that we'll never release. But all that will be coming soon. But that's in the meantime, par for the course. But in the meantime, thanks so much for joining us this week on Automated. See you next time.